0: Recently, Marsh and I were visiting and reminiscing about how our oldest grandchild, Luke, three weeks ago turned 16 years old. 16 years old. That is hard to believe. He's soon going to be getting his driver's license here, probably over the Christmas holidays. I mean, he's just so grown up. And we just spent some time kind of talking and reminiscing about their lives. And we got to talking about when his sister, Mara, was born. Luke was almost three years old. Kelly and Andy were living in Dallas at the time. And it was so very exciting when Mara was about to be born. We all came rushing down to Dallas. Our son Paul and his wife Krista were there. And Marsha and I were there. We, We all were there to celebrate this special time. It happened on a Friday night. And so then on Saturday afternoon, I flew back home to Oklahoma City so I could be here in church. Marsha stayed on down in Dallas. She planned to be there for several more weeks to, to just help Kelly since she already had one child and now the second one, a baby. And I said, I'll come back down in a number of days and I'll be here to celebrate again as well. And so Marsha called though while I was still up here and she said, you know, lots of presents have been coming in for Mara. And Kelly and Andy had made the decision that Luke would get to open all of little Mara's presents. And so friends were bringing by gifts, and they were coming in the mail. And Luke would open the present, and he would take it over and go, Look, baby Mara, it is so pretty. Look, baby Mara, you're going to have fun with this. Look, baby Mara, you got another toy. He was such a good brother, and he would open the presents, and he would show them to Mara, and he would celebrate with her, and this went on day after day after day until one day there was a particularly a whole lot of presents came. And he opened them all and he showed them all to baby Mara. And when he was finally through, he went over to Marsh and said, Monty, take Yuke to the mall because I know you want to buy Yuke a present. And Marsha said, absolutely I do. And so they went and climbed in the car and they headed off to the mall. She told Luke he could have anything he wanted. He knew exactly what he wanted. He wanted two things. He wanted a bottle of bubbles so you could you know how you make your bubbles and they're fun. And he wanted a flashlight. He wanted a flashlight. So they got to the store and there was a whole wall of flashlights. And Marcia said, "You can choose any one you want." He said, "I want the blue one." It didn't matter size. Didn't matter options. Didn't. Ma- I want the blue one. And so they bought him a blue flashlight. He was thrilled. Came home and he was making bubbles in the house and he was running around with this flashlight, shining it in all the corners, shining it in your face. Yeah, he was having fun with the flashlight. A couple days later, I came back down to Dallas and I too started having fun with Luke. We made bubbles and he was running around playing with the flashlight. And then I had an idea and I said, Luke, Let me show you where a flashlight works the best. And that's when it's really dark. So the two of us went into Kelly and Andy's walk-in closet. And I I stuffed a towel underneath the the crack at the bottom of the door. And we sat down in the closet and I got him into my lap. And we had turned off the light except for the flashlight. And I said, now, Luke, I'm going to turn off the flashlight and it's going to really get dark. And so I turned off the flashlight. I mean, it was so dark, I mean, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. You had no idea what was out there. And we sat there for just a few moments, and he said, CB, turn that light back on. You don't like the darkness. And I thought to myself, son, nobody does. But we've all been there in the darkness. When somebody you love dies and your world loses its color. When you struggle month after month to pay the bills and everything just seems to go gray. When you struggle in relationships and, and your children, your grandchildren, they're doing things that worry you and stress you you feel like you got a dark cloud hanging overhead when the doctor says we've done everything we can we all know what it's like to be in the darkness and what we want is somebody to turn the light on so we can see that's what our scripture lesson really is about this morning we are reading from the book of Luke in the first chapter. It's before the birth of Jesus. We are reading about Zachariah and Elizabeth. You remember Elizabeth was the kinswoman of Mary, and Mary was pregnant as well. She was three months behind Elizabeth. You remember John and Elizabeth? I mean Zachariah and Elizabeth. Well, they hadn't been able to have children for years. She was past childbearing age. And an angel came along and said, you're going to have a son. And he's going to have a special job to be the forerunner for Jesus. And so sure enough, they had a son and they named him John. And so it's Zechariah now filled with a Holy Spirit who begins to prophesy about what his son John is going to do. That's what we were reading this morning. Really prophecy about John. But it's John who's going to be proclaiming to the world that what's going to happen is it's going to be God in His tender mercy. is going to have a day where it dawns for all people and a light will shine to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And He will lead their feet into the way of peace. To have peace. The peace that is being talked about here is not the absence of all strife. Because that's not the real world. There's always strife. There will always be struggles. Now, I believe that the peace that is being talked about here is the promise that in the midst of the strife, in the midst of the struggle, you can have a sense of assurance, strength, confidence, to be able to live where you're still calm. You know peace. In the midst of all the storm that is going on around you, that's the promise. And it's the promise that you and I need right now. It's why I want to continue on this morning with our sermon series, Light of the World. Because the light of the world is that baby being born in Bethlehem. And it's what's going to give you and I a sense of hope and a sense of peace. A baby being born in Bethlehem. And we need that right now as you and I are living through this pandemic. I mean, it's been nine months. We never could have dreamed. And now at the stage where we are in this pandemic, you know, we all know people, multiple people who've had the coronavirus. Months ago, I know that we would sit around and talk and say, I don't really know anyone who has had the virus. Now, we all know multiple people who've had coronavirus, and many of us have had it ourselves. And of course, there have been so many who have really struggled, and many who have lost their life to this terrible pandemic. Right now, we are hearing that yesterday, 4,800 or so new cases in a single day. The death toll continues to climb. Hospital beds are in short supply. And it's because of all these reasons that the leadership of your church made the decision that we would not worship in person all the way through December and into January. That we felt we need to try to do the right thing, the best we can to keep everybody safe and not contribute to the spread of the coronavirus It has changed all of our lives. I mean, we haven't been able to get together with family and friends the way we used to or to be able to travel or to go to our favorite restaurants for dinners or so many things. And now we will even lose getting to stand together on Christmas Eve and fill this incredible sanctuary and be able to hold our candles and and sing Silent Night. But in the midst of the pandemic, you and I can know peace. We don't have to live with anger and bitterness at all the things that have been taken away and we don't have to live in fear because it is through the tender mercy of our God who brings a dawn and a light that shines to people who sit in darkness and He guides our feet in the way of peace to be able to know peace in the midst of all the struggles around us. That's what I want us to think about this morning. And I really want to share with you just two thoughts. First of all, it says, It is through the tender mercy of our God that a day will dawn and a light will shine to those who sit in darkness. Understand, this is what God does. It's not what we do, it's what God does, that through the tender mercy of our God a light will shine in the darkness. Our job is simply to stay open, to prepare our hearts so that we can experience the light of Christ who guides our feet, who leads us to life. That's our responsibility to stay open and to prepare our hearts. And that's why this week, each day, when you get up and have your daily devotional and I hope you have your Advent wreath, you light that candle of peace and you're going to think about what does it mean to trust God. We call that faith. Faith is when you trust in God's constant love of us as children. And when you think about God's constant love of us, His children, when you have faith, then it will lead you into the way of peace. It's not going to stop all the pandemic and the challenges around us and all those things. You will find peace in the midst of the storm. You know, right now in the fall, one of the things that I love every year and look forward to is football. I love college football, love high school football, some great days. Love college football, love professional football. But again, what a year football has had in the midst of this pandemic. Games get canceled, games get um, moved, schedules are always changing around. Here you just recently had the Denver Broncos playing, and they couldn't have a quarterback, all four were in quarantine. No, I mean, it's just made the football season really strange this year. Not at all what we would like and expect. And I'll tell you what I found that I miss and that's the fans. You miss all the screaming and the fans cheering even if you're watching on TV it gives you an energy and and now they have a little canned noise of fans occasionally. I've discovered how much it changes the whole experience. I was watching some football recently when I realized that Drew Brees, the quarterback for the New Orleans Saints, wasn't going to be playing. Now I'm a big fan of, of Drew Brees because he is not only such an incredibly talented football player, he's a man of great faith and great compassion. And when I saw he wasn't starting, I I thought, what happened? I went and looked it up on the Internet and found out that he had been diagnosed with 11 fractured ribs. Eleven. And they think it happened over a two-week period. Maybe half a dozen got fractured one week, and almost a half a dozen the next week on his right side one of those ribs actually punctured his lung and he had a collapsed lung. So after discovering that he had 11 fractured ribs and a collapsed lung, they said, you're probably gonna have to miss Sunday. Actually they said, you're gonna miss quite a few weeks. We don't know how long it's gonna be before you get to come back. Now Drew Brees is 41 years old. In a month he's gonna turn 42 and 42 years old in the NFL is an old man. and So now all the talk has been will he ever come back? If he does will this now be his last year? And I don't know what is gonna happen for Drew, but I know that in the midst of all this difficult time for him he knows how to handle it and he will do it in a sense of peace because he's been there before. He played at Purdue and was very successful. Got drafted by the uh, San Diego Chargers. 2001 he was drafted by them. He played for five seasons for San Diego. He was really developing into a great quarterback with an incredible future. But in 2005, they didn't come to agreement on a contract. They knew it was going to be big. He was so good. They wanted to hold on to him. And so he was playing through 2005, the last year of his contract. Knew he would get another one for 2006 and on December the 31st, 2005 he was hit by a lineman who fell on him and dislocated his right shoulder and just tore up his rotator cuff. Now if you're a right-handed passer you can't have a worse injury. The doctors looked at it and they said it's going to be eight months before you can really be playing again. It'll probably be two years before you feel normal. And most doctors said you probably have about a 25 percent chance of ever playing again. There was no big contract. All that money and all that glory. Will you ever play again? And after that happened Drew went into such a depression and he's thinking why? Why me? This isn't fair. You know, all those things that you and I say when life gets hard. Why me? This isn't fair. And he was so depressed. And then one day he kind of had an aha moment. And he thought, what I need to do right now is have faith. Rather than be so upset and so depressed, I just need to have faith. To trust that God is going to lead me. And maybe I'm going to be led out of football. Maybe I'll be led back into football. I don't know. All I can do is rehab and try to stay in shape and do the best that I can do. But when I've done that, I need to simply trust God is going to lead my life. And it really brought in a sense of peace in the midst of this terrible situation as he worked so hard and sure enough San Diego didn't give him a contract. Only two teams wanted to possibly talk to him and one was New Orleans, the New Orleans Saints. In August of 2005 they'd been hit by a category 5 hurricane and it was just obliterated. You remember what had happened there in New Orleans. And finally, they offered him a contract to come to New Orleans. And Drew said, I literally felt called by God. I felt this is where God was leading me. Because this city was trying to rebuild and put itself back together. This team, which really was bad, was trying to rebuild. And he said, I was trying to rebuild my life. And so he went to New Orleans with a sense of, calling. And he and his wife jumped in and were so involved in the community trying to help build things back and trying to bring awareness. And 2006 season went pretty well. 2007 was better. 2008 was better. And in 2009 the New Orleans Saints won the Super Bowl for the first time in their franchise history. And with all that exciting season and that awareness I mean, it brought so many people to New Orleans and the games were rocking. It brought in tons of money and publicity. And the volunteers returned. But now he begins highlighting all that still needed to be done. In the end, Drew Brees and his wife, through their foundation, have invested more than $30 million, giving it away to all kinds of programs in New Orleans to try to help bring peace and hope to the people. No, when they talk to Drew Brees and he's interviewed about it, he will say, you know, December 31st, 2005, I considered to have been the worst day of my life when it happened. And now when I look back, I give God thanks where I am. Where will God lead you? I don't know. The promise is, by the tender mercy of our God, the day will come when there is a dawn and a light that shines for all the people who sit in darkness. It's what God does. He is the one who promises to lead us. When you can't see where you're going, when you can't see right in front of your face, you and I trust. We have faith. We trust in God's constant love of us His children. And you and I discovered that we can actually have peace in the midst of the storm. Secondly, when we sat in that closet and I'm sitting there with Luke and he said, turn that light back on, CB. You doesn't like the darkness. I flipped on the light and I'll never forget. He said, thank you, CB. Thank you, CB. And he hugged my neck. When the light comes, you feel a sense of gratitude. You feel grateful. You know, I firmly believe that when you think about how it is God who has sent His Son into the world as a baby in Bethlehem, when the promise is that through the tender mercy of our God, a light will shine to those who sit in darkness, we ought to be filled with a spirit of gratitude. And one thing is for sure, if gratitude is your dominant experience and value at the moment, you don't feel bitterness and anger or fear. It's gratitude. And that opens your heart to be able to see the light and to let God lead us into life. Gratitude is so important. And it's why I'd like to ask that this week, as you and I start each day with our daily devotionals, as we light the candle of peace, this week, every day, we start with a prayer of gratitude. Maybe things are heavy on your heart. Maybe it is a difficult time. Maybe you have so many things pressing around you, and you can't see where to go, and you're afraid. Start every day with a prayer of gratitude. It will do something to your soul, and you will be led into the way of peace. You know, last week I introduced you to Sandy Greenberg, fascinating man. It was Ed Collins who put me onto this book um, all about uh, um, Sandy Greenberg and, and his life, entitled, Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. It was a great book and I I did not know about Sandy Greenberg but I told you last week how he was a, a young Jewish man from Buffalo who was the son of a junk man who went to get a full ride at Columbia University there in New York and he went on to do amazing things. He began to study, he thrived, this kid was brilliant And he soon met a young man there on campus and his name was Art Garfunkel of Simon and Garfunkel. They weren't Simon and Garfunkel then. This was just Arthur Garfunkel. And they became roommates and best of friends. And then Sandy in his right after sophomore year turned out that he was actually developing glaucoma. But the ophthalmologist misdiagnosed it and they went to another one who misdiagnosed it again and gave him treatments that exacerbated the problem and in the end in February of 1961 in his junior year, about 20 years old, Sandy Greenberg went blind for the rest of his life because two doctors had misdiagnosed his glaucoma. went blind. He woke up and found himself in the darkness it turned out that it was our Garfunkel who came down to came over to see him at Buffalo and he only had one question when are you coming back to Columbia not if when a social worker had told him well now that you're blind you could be able to make screwdrivers at a local factory you could can cane chairs Professors and other people were all saying, you can't come back to Columbia, there's no way. How would you get to class? How can you do the reading? You can't do this. It was his roommate, Art, who said, when are you coming back? And so he came back to Columbia. And Art was there to take him to class, and he read to him, and other people would read to him. And so many people got on board to be supportive. His girlfriend, Sue, who would later become his wife, all these people were jumping in and he was so disciplined. He took four hours of sleep a night. Four hours of sleep at all he had allow himself. Get up early in the morning to be doing his studying and listening to the lectures and he worked so hard. I mean the man was incredible in the way how he worked so hard. And what would happen in the end, he made better grades than he made before. He would graduate Phi Beta Kappa, president of his class, he would get accepted into graduate school at Harvard and earn a PhD in political science. He would go to Oxford and spend a year of studying there, come back and be a White House fellow in the LBJ White House. He created an invention of word compression, sold it for millions of dollars. He started creating other businesses. He's an incredible entrepreneur. Married his, wife, his girlfriend Sue and they have a wonderful family. He's now 79 years old. What a fascinating life that Sandy has had. But when I read the book, the thing that jumped out at me so much was how he was always talking about his gratitude. Grateful to this person. Grateful to that person. He's an incredible man of gratitude. In spite of the fact that he's been blind now for 60 years, because of the mistakes of other people. He's been in darkness with all the struggles it has brought and it has brought struggles. He still seemed to be such a man of gratitude. I want to read you what Sandy had to say. Despite my seeming bravado and facing down the social worker and other well-meaning people, I'm not independent. I cannot be. It's not all about me and it never was. My story is largely one of dependence. I am dependent and that has helped me to realize something. No one is a self-made man. Yes, I have shown determination throughout my life as a blind person, but here is my secret formula. Without the support and love from so many people in my life, above all my wife and my family, without close friendships with which I have been blessed, without the kindness so many people have spontaneously shown, I am convinced I would have lain where I fell. He's always giving credit to others and is so grateful for what they have done. So much so that that Sandy and... Sue Greenberg have decided that what they wanted to do was live out their faith. As I said they are Jewish and he is a person of great faith. And, and there's a concept called Tikkun Olam. Tikkun Olan. It's Hebrew for repair the world. And it's the belief that we should work in harmony with God to repair the brokenness of the world around us by helping other people. And that if we do that, we continue to bring glory to the sovereignty of God. I love the concept. And Sandy and Sue have believed so much in that concept, that their calling was to help restore the brokenness of this world instead of being bitter and angry over what had happened and all the struggles he's been through, no, he lives out of an incredible spirit of gratitude. He actually was in college back in 1959 when JFK was running for president. And he was so taken with JFK, he helped to go out and try to organize students and other universities and campaign for him. And he was so moved by his speech on May the 25th, 1961, joint session of Congress, where he laid out... Our goal to go to the moon, to land men on the moon and fly back before the end of the decade. The Russians had scared us to death with Sputnik, this little satellite going around the earth. And now this was the response. We're going to go to the moon. We didn't have the knowledge or the technology to go to the moon. No, this was the goal. Now we will develop the technology. We will develop all this understanding and knowledge so we can do it. And so it was July the 20th, 1969. Neil Armstrong stepped out of that lunar lander and onto the to the moon. It was 2,978 days since President Kennedy had said, here is the goal. So in 2012, Sandy and Sue announced a goal. End blindness 2020 and they put up $3 million as the prize. A $3 million prize for whoever, as an individual, or a group of individuals, or a company, whoever it was who made the most progress to end blindness, they would be awarded this $3 million reward. And 2,978 days since they announced it will be a week from tomorrow on December the 14th, 2020. I can hardly wait to hear who wins. People have been working to find the answer to the cure of blindness. Not just glaucoma or retinitis or anything like this. No, the idea is how do we cure blindness? By restoring and healing the optic nerve so we can truly see all kinds of blindness to be eradicated. That's the goal. It's been incredible. And he knows it may or may not be done in his lifetime. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to restore the broken world. And he knows it will happen because now Johns Hopkins University has created the Sanford and Sue Greenberg Center for Healing Blindness. And they will carry this torch on. If it doesn't happen now, that torch will be carried on until it does. He's doing it because he lives in such a spirit of gratitude. Not bitterness and anger of all that happened, but a sense of gratitude. Now he likes to talk about baseball. He was a big baseball fan. And he loved to talk about Lou Gehrig. You remember as Lou Gehrig, playing baseball for the New York Yankees, Back in 1939, he was 35 years old when he got diagnosed with ALS. One of the greatest baseball players in the history of the game. He would be dead two years later at at 37. And he likes to refer to the time when, after all this had come out, you have Lou Gehrig standing on the field addressing the crowd there in Yankee Stadium. And Lou Gehrig said, For the past two weeks, you've been reading about a bad break. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. And Sandy Greenberg says, Same here, Lou. Same here. To have faith because of the tender mercy of God, a light is going to shine in the darkness. We are blessed to live in a spirit of gratitude because out of the tender mercy of our God, a day will come where the dawn from above will light be a light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and will guide our feet into the way of peace. You can count on it. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.